So we welcome the presence of God into the church, you know, and it's, it's not a weird thing for us to pray and to, to look to the Lord. Um, I know some of you are just getting ready for finals week. We got a lot of uh, new faces in the house. We got some ACFers and some Penn State students with us. We can give them a little welcome and some special prayers and encouragement over you today. If there's anybody that's here that needs just some prayer before you leave today, make sure you grab someone to just to, to pray over you as you go into this week. I know that was always uh, sort of an exciting time to get through. I never enjoyed finals week. I loved it when it was done. Uh, but uh, we know this is an important uh, time that you are in right now. Hey, I want to um, actually show a quick video as we uh, get ready to get into the message time today. You've been hearing about the Encountering God uh, Day that we're doing on May, uh, May 13. Uh, that's coming up. It's going to be a 9 to 5 kind of full day event right here at the church. And we would love for many of you to be here, even Penn State students, if you guys happen to be around for the, the month of May, we'd love for you to sign up and come out and join us as well. I want to bring a quick video to you from John Mitchell, who is one of our primary speakers who's going to be bringing content to us. Uh, he is an awesome leader. I love this guy. I can't wait to get him up here uh, from Atlanta area. He's going to be here with us in State College. And so turn your attention to the screens. Here's a little greeting and encouragement from John Mitchell. Hey, John Mitchell here, and I want to invite you to the upcoming Encountering God Weekend. And Encountering God Weekend is really a gathering that's designed to be a prayer infusion for you, your family, your local church. And unlike most conferences that you've probably been to, we're going to spend just as much time in worship and prayer, repentance, and spirit empowerment as we will receiving biblical and life-giving teaching on restoring a lifestyle of intimacy with God. And that's why this isn't just another conference, it's an encounter. And if you'll take time at this gathering to submit to the Father, draw near to His presence, His promise is that He will draw near to you. So whether you're a pastor, a church leader, business owner, school teacher, student, parent, or anything else, and no matter what stage of life you're in, our time together is going to be beneficial and applicable to your relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're still deciding whether or not to come, my question for you is, are you hungry? Are you hungry for spiritual breakthrough? Are you hungry for a deeper level of intimacy with God? Are you hungry to see the kingdom of God expand in you and through you? And if there is any ounce of spiritual hunger in you, I want to encourage you, join us. Every sustained move of God throughout history started with hunger for God because hunger for God is where encountering God starts. So if you have a hunger to encounter God, then this prayer is infusion is for you, and I can't wait to see you there. All right, so we want to put the call out to you guys uh, in the church. Uh, there's a couple things I want you just to take away from that. Number one, I would love for our church to be well represented in this gathering. Uh, I know many of you are already signing up and getting registered and everything, so do it this week before we lose the early bird deadline and all that stuff. Do it this week if you're going to do it. But here's the second thing that we'd really love to encourage you with. We believe that this event has significance for our region, not just for our church. And so you have contacts and connections in other churches. We would love to have a ton of other churches represented here because we believe that the move that God wants to do in this region is not just in our church, but it's across our region. And so let's get some other friends and family. I'm inviting people to come from other churches that I know. I would encourage you to do the same thing. So not only to come out yourself uh, on May 13th, 
uh, but to send that uh, registration to some friends as well, invite some people to come, uh, and it's going to be a great event. So May 13, mark your calendar. We hope to see you there. All right, we're going to get into God's Word together. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Numbers. We've been doing some kind of like high-level looking at some of the Pentateuch books. We just went through uh, the book of Leviticus. We did it quickly. Many of you are reading through the entire book, and so if you're on that reading track, keep it going. But we're covering a lot of Scripture and preaching through some of the high points on it. Today we're actually going to be starting in Numbers chapter 10, and we're going to do some of the overview of uh, the book of Numbers. Here's a question while you're turning there. I would be curious to know, how many of you love to travel? Raise your hand if you love travel. All right, we got some, some adventurers in the house. Just love to see a new place, get out and do a new thing. How many of you would almost rather do anything else besides travel? Where my homebody's at, people say, don't make me travel, let me stay at home. It's totally valid, it's totally fine. If you're in that camp, you can be in that camp as well. Uh, one is not necessarily better than the other. But a lot of us will fit into one of those places where we either love to travel, and some of us would say we just love to stay home. Now, when I was thinking a little bit about this idea of travel, I was thinking about my growing up years because I grew up in what I would call sort of like the child safety suggestion era. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of you that are old enough, you know what it was like that you kind of piled into a vehicle and you did long road trips with the family and the whole idea of like being totally buckled into a seatbelt or whatever was very kind of arbitrary. In fact, like there was like the wheel well behind the front seat that like the little brother would claim and be like sleeping down there. At one point we had a van that we drove around in that had like the well that went out before you opened the door and like one of the brothers would be sleeping down in that thing. So you had to be careful if you stopped at a rest stop. Don't just open the door because like a, a kid's going to fall out. This was the child safety suggestion era. In fact, one of my favorite things from that era was the way, way back. You know what I'm talking about? Like, not just the back seat, but when you get in the way, way back, and you could, like, you, like tunnel out, like, like, bags and suitcases and make a nice little den for yourself back there and kind of do whatever. That was, like, the way, way back area, and that was sort of fun. Here's the thing. Uh, the unknown that comes from travel for some of us, ev invokes sort of this sense of fear or evokes this sense of fear, whereas in others, it, it evokes this sense of adventure. And sometimes if you're an adventurous person, one of the people who raised your hand said, I love to travel, it's because anything can happen. Like the, the new adventure is before you, the, the new thing is there. I remember, so I was going to the, the Outer Banks of North Carolina. That's where my family would, would travel. We lived up in close to Erie, Pennsylvania. So we're making the long drive to, to the Outer Banks of uh, North Carolina. How many of you have been there? A lot of us have been there, right? Great spot, great beaches. And uh, we're somewhere in Virginia where it dawns on me when the family stopped to do like a potty break or something, I have not gone to the bathroom yet on this trip. And then the adventure kicked in, and I told my parents, I'm going to go the entire way to the Outer Banks of North Carolina without going to the bathroom. And I, I specifically entitled it, it was my, my mind over bladder exercise that I was going to try to do. <laughs> And uh, if you're curious, you can ask me uh, uh, at the end of the message. You come up and ask me. I can tell, I'll tell you if I made it or not. Uh, so, yeah, just it, it, it evokes this sense of adventure for some. And for others, we say the unknown would cause us to maybe say, I want to stay home. Some of you would even ask these questions. Before you answer the question, do I love to travel, I need to know where are we going and who's going with us. Because those kind of things make a big difference as well. 
Well, what we find here in Numbers is Numbers is all about traveling. It's all about the movement of God's people. It's all about the, the transition that they are in. And so here's what we've been finding so far in this series as we've been looking at ancient history. We've got out of slavery, that was the entire story of Exodus. We see into worship with the giving of the covenant. And what does it mean to approach the presence of God? What does it mean to approach the presence of God? We see this with God's people. We see them coming now into a relationship with him as God is continuing to reveal new things about himself. And this relationship includes what do you do when you screw it up? So the Old Testament sacrificial system was all about how, does it, how do we get back on track or get ourselves realigned when we find ourselves in a broken or a relationship that needs to be restored. And then we come to the book of Numbers the Hebrew word for this portion of scripture of the, in the Torah is the Bamidbar, which is entitled the wandering or the wilderness, through the wilderness. And so what we're going to read today is some of this idea uh, of what does it mean to go through the wilderness. I want to pick up in Numbers 10 to begin. And then I think what you will find is that this message today, though it is heavy, it is also deeply personal that I've intended not to simply say, let's make this a historical retelling of what God's people did, but looking at the reality of our lives and the times that we go through the wilderness. Because one of the deals is just as much as out of slavery is a reality, and into worship is a reality, and into right standing relationship is a reality in your walk with Jesus, through the wilderness is also a part of that journey. And some of your lives are telling that story right now. So I want us to look at it from a very personal lens. Let's begin in Numbers chapter 10, uh, and I'll read verses 11 to 13. It says, On the twentieth day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. They set out this first time at the Lord's command through Moses. So let's pause right there. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. This is actually a very historical event. It's a, very, it's a big deal because it says at the end of Exodus that the, the presence of God or the cloud of God's presence actually came in and filled the tabernacle. And so the people have this tangible, visible view of the presence of God. So that's something that you and I have probably not experienced. So here we have the old covenant people of God experiencing this. And the deal was simply this, that this tabernacle was built to be mobile. So when the presence of God moves, the cloud of his presence lifts and begins to move, they pack up their stuff and they follow. And where the presence of God rests, they set up their stuff and they stay. And that's going to be part of this journey for the people of God as they go through the book of Numbers. Now, here's just a quick overview for you that I think would be helpful just to kind of get the context or the understanding. There's basically three main sections in the book of Numbers. You have this space at Mount Sinai where the first 10 chapters begin. And, it, and there, they're doing all kinds of things according to what God has instructed them to do. They're taking a census of the people. They're understanding who's there, how many there are, etc. They're arranging the people of God uh, with God at the center. So there's sort of a specific way in which they're to be arranged when they're setting up the camp. They're unpacking different purity laws, which are building on the things that they have received in Exodus and then into Leviticus. What does it mean to be a pure people and in God's presence? 
Uh, and then they begin to travel, and that's actually where we pick up today in N Numbers chapter 10, uh, and their first travel takes them to the wilderness of Paran. That's the second, uh, second area. So in chapters 13 to 19, we see a couple very pivotal things happening. The spies are sent into the land of Canaan, so you remember this story, probably many of you, uh, and the report is mixed. It's mixed more to the bad than to the good. So there are a couple of the spies that say, we can do this. This place is awesome. It's going to be our new home, just like God uh, planned and promised. Uh, but the majority of the spies are like, no way. The people are too big. The way's too hard. We're not going to be able to do it. And then this begins to be this big uh, unrest among the people. Uh, this has rebellion in the camp. The judgment of God comes. Uh, and specifically, the, the sort of unfortunate pronouncement is that the people are going to get what they wished for. Uh, and what they wished for is they don't want to go in. And so God says, okay, 40 years, this whole entire generation is going to die in the wandering and in the wilderness. So if wilderness is a real thing, how long the wilderness lasts sometimes uh, can, can change. So the wilderness is going to be a real thing. They travel again this time. They're continuing to rebel. In fact, if you read the book, it's super depressing. I mean, you just, you just read it. It's like from one mess to the next mess, you, you think, like, okay, they're going to finally get it, and then they don't get it. They lead another rebellion this time on this travel. The snakes are sent in, and so they're dying from get, getting bit by snakes, and then they come to the plains of Moab. They're still struggling. Um, and in the, in the plains of Moab, that's our third section there, um, that's a really interesting story. If you know the story of Balaam, Balaam's donkey and Balak and that whole situation, Balak is the king of Moab, and he's concerned about the people of God because they're basically camping out on his front door. And so he says, we're going to hire this sorcerer guy, uh, Balaam, to come and, and speak curses over them. But every time he comes to speak curses over them, um, God gives him blessing. And so it's this interesting kind of like God is still pouring out blessing even in strange and odd ways. How many know the story of Balaam and Balaam's donkey, that whole thing? Yeah, so I grew up thinking like Balaam was a good guy because I learned about him in Sunday school. And everybody you learn about in Sunday school is a good guy, right? And uh, yeah, he, he wasn't. Balaam's donkey was sort of better than him. But anyway, um, that's kind of an overview. It just gives you a little bit of an idea of the context of the book of Numbers. But it's, it's all about traveling. It's all about through the wilderness. And I want to just reiterate this to you again so you're hearing it very clearly. Out of slavery, that's a real part of the journey. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's what the old hymn says. That's what it means when you get out of slavery of your sin nature and Jesus Christ comes in and sets you free. That's a real thing. Like the parallels of this are so beautiful. Into a right standing worship. Let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we might receive grace and help in our time of need. That's like restored worship. That's you, that's me in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. When we think about into a restored relationship and the sacrificial system that was completely finished in the work of Christ so that the old one now is obsolete because the finished work of Christ is your reality. We said this last week, everywhere you go, if you are in Christ, you carry the death of Christ with you and you are living out the new life of Christ. So all of these things are very real parallels into your Christian walk today, including this one. Through the wilderness is part of the journey. Through the wilderness is a part of the journey. I want to give you a little bit of a working definition. What do we mean when we talk about the wilderness experiences of life? 
I'm going to define it to you this way. There's probably a lot more you could say about it. This is not a complete or exhaustive definition, but here's how we would, what we would call this. What is the wilderness? We have this up on the screen for you. The wilderness is a unique season marked by uncertainty. It is the solitary place where character is revealed and intimacy with God is developed. The wilderness is a unique season marked by uncertainty. It is the solitary place where character is revealed and intimacy with God is developed. Listen, I just want to say it again. Through the wilderness is part of the journey. If we don't understand that, it catches us by surprise. In fact, I talk to Christian people all the time that they're like, I understand what's wrong in my life. Something must, has, must have gone drastically wrong, and then they begin to explain what they're going through, and it's, no, you, you're in the wilderness. It's actually not drastically wrong. It may be a time of pain. It may be a time of learning. It may be a time that God wants to increase your understanding even through difficulty. Haven't you ever noticed how he does that sometimes in ways that he just doesn't do when everything is going swimmingly and well? Swimmingly. That's a weird word. That's not in my notes. I just said it. It just came out. But we go through the wilderness. It's part of the journey. James 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is uncertainty. This is wilderness. This is something that's happened. I didn't want it to happen. It's a challenge that I didn't want to have to face, but I'm in the middle of it. Okay? Consider it pure joy. What happens? The testing of your faith produces perseverance, and then it goes on to say, and then you become mature. And when you lack wisdom, you learn to become wise and that your belief is increased. And that particular passage in James basically says it ends up with you being stable-minded. God does things through the wilderness that he doesn't otherwise do. So James says, well, consider it pure joy. So you're going to find that sort of theme all throughout Scripture as you look for it. What am I talking about when we talk about uh, the wilderness? Health challenge. You might be going through a health challenge right now. Family uncertainty. That's a very real thing. It's a very real wilderness thing. Most of us deal with some level of that. Relational strain. Uh, vocational change. Vocational uncertainty. Finals week. I mean, there's any number of things. I mean, you could look at right now that the wilderness means uncertainty it's the place in your christian journey where you say i know that god is with me but i don't always know where he's taking me and that can be a very painful and very real place for us to go so there's a couple lessons that i want to take you through what i would just call lessons from the wilderness and we'll just make that our outline today so the entire book of numbers is about travel it's about the moving it's about going through the wilderness what were some of the things that God's people were forced to learn and what are some of the things that we can learn we would just call lessons from the wilderness so here's what they are if you want to jot these down this will basically be our outline number one presence matters number two attitude matters number three destination matters and those are the lessons we're going to look at from the wilderness. First one is presence matters. So I find this really interesting. It says, 
uh, in Numbers 10, on the 20th day, second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law, and the Israelites set out. So this was the system. After they had camped there for over a year, they've got the Ten Commandments from God, they've got instruction from God, but when the presence moves, the people of God were to move as well. The people of God follow the presence of God. Moses' previous conversation with God back in Exodus is actually very revealing here. Because what Moses said to God as he's praying and God's talking about, I'm going to send you forward, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to do all of these things. And Moses says, that's fine. He said, but if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us. And this wasn't Moses being rebellious. This was Moses acknowledging that apart from the presence of God, the journey ahead was going to be meaningless and directionless. So the presence matters. Don't send us if your presence isn't going to go with us. And friends, this is the heart cry of a hungry church. This is the reason that we do things like the Encountering God gathering, that we need the presence of God among us. Somebody has famously said, the church is the hope of the world. And then I think we might add to it that the presence of God is the life of the church. What kind of hope of the world are we ever going to be if we don't have the life of Christ among us, the presence of God among us? So the presence mattered. And when the presence moved, the people of God moved. When the presence waited, the people of God waited. This gives us actually a really powerful clue in the new covenant reality that we are in of how we are to engage with God. Information about God will never sustain your spiritual life. So you can fill up your brain with all kinds of information and you can learn all kinds of things, but never have had the encounter with Him. As we mature, we learn to seek His face. And that's kind of a churchy word or phrase that we use, but here's what it means it means that when we are young in our faith, we spend most of our prayer time asking God for stuff, right? Hey, God, if you have time, I could really use some help here. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. There's a, there's a childlike dependency that we're developing even in those immature years where we're saying, I'm learning to seek God as a source in my life or as the source in my life. That's actually a good place for us to be. It's just not the only place. Because there's something as we mature and we grow and we learn to seek his face for who he is. We learn to seek his presence. We actually find ourselves saying, there's nothing that I really want more than the presence of God. The psalmist said, this one thing I would ask, that I would just be in the house of the Lord, to be in his presence. You see what I'm saying? So like there's this maturity that begins to happen as we grow. Some of us are there. Some of us understand that very intrinsically right now. Some of us don't understand that at all yet, but we trust that you will because your identity is most fully formed as a child of God loved by your heavenly Father. What, what does this mean? Presence matters. Presence matters. And the heart cry of a hungry church, the heart cry of a hungry person who says, I want the presence of God. We see as the presence moved, the people of God moved. So lesson number one from the wilderness is that the presence matters. If you find yourself today, and I know many of you do, in a place where you would say, I am in the wilderness. 
I'm not going to be surprised by it. I'm not going to be shocked by it. And we'll talk about attitude and kind of how we deal with that here in a minute. It's a reality. The cry is, God, could I find your presence? Could I find your presence in the midst of the wilderness? That's what you ultimately need. Number 11, if you flip ahead a chapter, things set off. So we get like, we get like a couple of good verses, and that's it. <laughs> you know, Things are going really well, swimmingly, you might say, for a couple of verses. And then verse uh, 1 of, of Numbers 11 reads this way. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the place was called Tabera because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. This is not ideal. This is not how it's supposed to be. The relationship is not supposed to be working like this, but here it is, the people of God complaining against God. They're, they're, they're having a hard time. God begins to pour out his anger over his people. So here's the question that this raises, and the entire book of Numbers, I think, raises this question. Why is following so stinking hard? Why is it so hard for God's people? I mean, any of us would probably read the book with the, the perspective that we have now, and we know how God provides, we know how he does this, and we would just say, why do you guys keep complaining? Why do you guys keep losing it? Why do you guys keep rebelling? Why do you guys keep, why, why, why is this? And then you kind of look at your own heart, and you have to ask the same question. I do fine until I don't understand. I do fine until I get afraid. And you probably do too. But the wilderness we said before, reveals character. It reveals the places that need to be developed. Why is it so stinking hard to, to follow? Uh, I would simply say this. This could be a whole message, but I'm just going to touch on it quickly. Why is it hard to follow? Well, the simple fact is because it's not a neutral playing field. The proverbial backseat bickering that comes from the family trip that we were talking about just a few moments ago, are we there yet? How much longer is it? How many of you were that kid you just had to know? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Yeah, that's right. How many of you have that kid right now? You're raising that kid. It's just, I just told you like six seconds ago, you know what I mean? No, we're not anywhere close to being there. Whatever. What's going on in that moment is that it's hard to follow without knowing. And so we pester for information. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? And we do this with God, right? Especially when we feel the wilderness. So are we there yet? Are we there yet? The, question, the questions we ask when we're in the wilderness, when we're going through suffering, when we're going through the difficulty and everything else, we say, how long is it going to be? And by the way, why are you doing this? Those are the questions we want to know. Why are we doing this? Why am I going through this? And how long is it going to be? Those are both questions of control. We have a hard time following especially when we don't know. So the proverbial backseat bickering comes from the family trip. Are we there yet? How much longer? Uh, my questions actually are, will dad really turn this car around? And what happens if he does? <laughs> Somebody told me after the first service, oh, my dad had my brother and me walk home. It actually happened, you know? Okay. But aside from the humorous nature that we can relate to with this, there is something being revealed. Why do we complain in the wilderness? It is because the rebellious spirit is deeply ingrained in the human heart. 
and spiritually reinforced by the enemy's lies. We, see, we, listen, this is where all of a sudden some stuff starts to jump off the page. We talked about Tower of Babel weeks and weeks ago, right? But what was Tower of Babel? We're going to make a name for ourselves. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. We glorify in ourselves. That is deeply ingrained in the human heart. What was the Egyptian spirit of the day? It was my spirit that says I'm going to rely on my own strength and my own power and everything else. So the rebellious spirit is deeply ingrained in the human heart and it is spiritually reinforced by the enemy's lies. Here's, here's an interesting little account. I think it was 1971. It was before, my, before I was born. Uh, there was a book that was written by Saul Alinsky and it was called Rules for Radicals. So Rules for Radicals was largely uh, a book about like political protests and how you can be effective in the political sphere and, and kind of enforcing this idea of being rebellious and, and challenging the establishment. And he, he gave in his sort of opening statements of this book uh, some words that really caught people's attention and raised some eyebrows and ticked some people off. And it was this. He said, we need uh, to at least give an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical. And he says, from our legends and our myths and history, etc., the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did so so effectively as to be granted his own kingdom, Lucifer. And people were like, we don't talk about that. People got upset that he was evoking, invoking that name. But see, here's the thing. He's not terribly far off. We don't pay homage to Lucifer, but that was the rebellious spirit that started it all. That's the rebellious spirit that reinforces the rebellion in my own heart. So here's what we can come to as we wrestle with our own wilderness experiences. The rebellious spirit is deeply ingrained in the human heart. That's why I see it so prevalently in me. And spiritually reinforced. And it is often the wilderness season that exposes the need and invites the intimacy that will actually bring healing to this heart. That's why presence matters. Because without the presence... I'm on an unneutral playing field stuck with my own heart and the enemy that fuels it. So once again, presence matters. Okay, that's lesson one. That's the longest one. Second one is this. Attitude matters. What can we learn from the, the, the wilderness experience? Attitude matters. The people complained about their hardship in the hearing of the Lord. So here's, here's what I would say. I mentioned before, you know, talk to Christian people who say, I'm surprised that I'm going through the wilderness. Don't be surprised that you go through the wilderness. It is a part of the journey. So to some extent, we need to embrace that reality. But what attitude do I have in the midst of it? So here's what I would maybe unpack. You can't control the wilderness part of your journey. Some of you right now would say, if I could, I would. I would absolutely change it because you're in the midst of it. You don't like it. You cannot control the wilderness part of your journey. You cannot control God's timing. I wish that was different. So I've had a lot of conversations with God about his timing. Doesn't always seem right to me, but I can't control it. You cannot control other people in your wilderness experience, especially those who are contributing to your wilderness experience. So I think it comes down to sort of two things. Number one, what choices are you going to make? You do have some control about that. 
And will you deal honestly? This is, this is all the kind of attitude sort of thing. So it kind of looks like this. Uh, choice. Um, self-pity is a very real thing. And that's a choice. Blame is a very real thing. And that's a choice. Resentment is a very real thing. And resentment might not be a choice as much as it is the product of the ongoing choices that all have to do with attitude. So while I can't control whether or not I go through the wilderness, whether or not I control how long the wilderness lasts or what the wilderness looks like or what God's timing is, whatever, I do actually have some things that I can control. So choice is one of them. Those three words, self-pity, blame, and resentment, maybe one of those stands out to you as something of particular need that you can uh, navigate uh, these are three cautions that actually came from a, a, a marriage book that Amy and I were reading as we're doing some pre-marriage counseling with a young couple. This is from Lesson Leslie Parrott. Their book is Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts. And these are the saboteurs of a happy marriage. And they're the saboteurs of every happy relationship. They're the saboteurs of a happy life. Self-pity can poison your entire life. Blame will deplete your happiness Quotient. Here's what's really fascinating. In Numbers 12, I'm not going to preach this today, but I'll just use it as a quick example. In Numbers 12, the wheels really start falling off. And now the leadership, Moses' own brother and sister, are accusing him and saying, we think this is your fault that we're here. So the people are losing it. The people are upset. God's anger is pouring out on the people. And now the right-hand guy and girl who are his blood, his flesh and blood, his brother and sister, are like, we think it's you. You know what I mean? So blame, and they got to deal with that, and God intervenes in some really spectacular ways. I mean, it's a mess. Resentment will erode your health like cancer. Now, here's the thing about choosing to stay away from these things. What we're not saying, this is the honesty part. What we're not saying is that you have to simply fake it until you make it through the wilderness. You know, that's sort of a common sense of like, just as long as I can keep a good face on and keep a stiff upper lip or whatever phrase you want to use you know I'm tough enough I can do it actually that's that's I've heard people say this a lot they say you know God promises he'll never give you more than you can bear you know do you have, have you heard that have you said that here's the thing that's actually not true that's not true really at all God will never give you anything more than you can bear you actually will find situations that are more than you can bear all throughout your life. What God will do is he will give you the strength beyond yourself to stand up even in the midst of those hardships. But on your own, you're pretty much toast. And the history of God's people shows that. So honesty is important that we're not called to simply say, I'm fine, I'm doing fine, you know? Actually, we, listen to this, this is so freeing. Some of you are gonna be free by this. You have the freedom to say, I'm not actually okay. And I'm going through the wilderness, and it stinks, and I'm mad, and I'm not fully sure where this is going, and I'm not fully sure how long it's going to be. But I'm going to make a choice that by God's grace, I'm not going to simply resent, and I'm not going to self-pity. Do you see that? It's a, it's a small shift, but it's so vitally important for us. We don't have to get sucked into that. I think about different people in our church. This is how I know this is true. This is how I know this can be done. I think about people in our church family, and I know they're going through the wilderness. I think about a guy named Bob. 
He's one of my favorite people to just, if I can just get 10 minutes with him, he brings joy to my life. But I know he's going through the fire. I know he's going through the wilderness. And I'll reveal who he is, some of you. I won't say his full name, but some of you will know this because when I ask him, how are you doing? This is what he says to me. He says, beyond expectation. That's what he says. That's what he's taught me. You see, he models joy in the midst of the pain. And he's also very quick to tell me when he's hurting. He tells me, tells me when he needs prayer. And we help each other. We lean on each other. It's the body of Christ kind of stuff. So we don't have to be dishonest. I think about an older woman in our church who I know she's gone through the wilderness. I know she's gone through the fire. I know she could be resentful. She could be self-pitying if she wanted to. Sorry, I just spit all over you. That's all right. You could resent me for that. She could choose to do that, and I just talked to her this morning, and I said, how are you doing? She said, oh, I'm giving glory to God. She's making a choice, and she's not faking it because she's been real with me too. And she said, I'll tell you right now, it hurts really bad, but I'm giving glory to God. So I see this. Attitude makes a huge difference. Bruce Barton said this. He said, if you expect perfection from people, your whole life is a series of disappointments, grumblings, and complaints so attitude matters and how you choose and being honest matters i'll give you one last example on this one and then we'll move on uh victor frankel man's search for meaning how many of you have read that book has anybody read that a couple of you have yeah it's a it's a powerful powerful book talking about a man's uh journey through the Holocaust and not just what he went through but what he learned uh, on the way. So Viktor Frankl was a 26-year-old Jewish psychiatrist in Vienna, Austria when he was arrested by Hitler's Gestapo and he was placed in a concentration camp. Month in, month out, he worked under the great smokestacks that belched out black carbon monoxide from the incinerators where his father, his mother, his sister, and his wife had been cremated. Each day he hoped for a few slivers of carrots and peas in the daily bowl of soup. In cold weather, he got up an hour earlier than usual to wrap his feet in his legs and scrap burlap and wire to shield them against the crippling cold of the East European winter. When Viktor Frankl was finally called for inquisition, he stood naked in the center of a powerful white light while men in shiny boots strode to and fro in the dark and shadows beyond the light. For hours, they assailed him with questions and accusations, trying to break him down with every accusation, accusing lie they could think of. Already they had taken his wife, his family, his writing, his clothes, his wedding ring, and everything else of material value. But in the midst of this barrage of questions, an idea flashed across Frankel's mind. They have taken everything from me that I have except the power to choose my own attitude. So like, here's a suffering that you likely have never experienced or could even relate to, though you have suffered. You've, you've had wilderness experiences. Here's a real wilderness experience. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of the deepest wilderness experiences seem to where, be where God brings insight and understanding that he doesn't bring when everything is good? Attitude matters. If you're in the wilderness right now, don't succumb to self-pity, but be honest about where you are on your need. Lean on people who can help you. It's a huge difference. Here's the last one. We're going to do it sort of quickly. Last one is 
destination matters. So the people of God, they're traveling, and they mess it up a whole lot, but there is something about knowing that God continues to bring them back to his promise, to his covenant, to his faithfulness. And though they miss it up, mess it up more than they get it right, we see that there is a destination that is in mind. So Hebrews 11 says it this way about the forerunner, Abraham. He says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, which incidentally is the same promised land where Moses is taking these people, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Listen to this. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So listen, if, if you miss everything else and you just catch this piece, I just want you to hear this. The, wil- the wilderness is a real thing. What gets you through the wilderness? What gets you through the wilderness is knowing that the wilderness is not the final chapter, right? Where we are now is not ultimately in Christ where we are destined to be. And so this becomes deeply personal. Amy just said this to me the other day. We were taking a drive somewhere. We were talking about life. We were just talking about stuff. And she said this. I said, I've got to write this down. I need to, your permission to quote you in Sunday's message because she said this. Some of my best times in my life have been living out of a suitcase. And she was not referring to a vacation. I know that because she told me. I'm not referring to a vacation. She said, I think about the mission trips that we've taken and the times that we've had a little bit of unknown where we're setting out to see what God has for us next and we put aside a lot of the stuff of this world. Like we put aside a lot of the the stuff that does sort of bog us down and take our attention. We don't worry about that stuff for a period of time and we just say, what's God have for us now? And we live lighter. We tend to be happier. And I thought about C.S. Lewis saying, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. See, the wilderness brings that into clarity perhaps better than any other season of your life. So we hang on to the presence, we check our attitude, and we remember where we're going. The wilderness account shows the contrast between the people's rebellion and God's faithfulness. This becomes a powerful backdrop for much of the biblical narrative. So we love to try to set the context. This particular account in the book of Numbers is so vital, and it is referred to by the prophets and the poets and the apostles alike. Why? Because as we wrestle with our seasons of wilderness, we don't lose hope. The wilderness is a part of the journey but it's not the final chapter. That's the message of encouragement for each of you that's in that space today. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up to lead us, but I wanna, I wanna pray for you. I wanna give a, sort of a special moment of prayer um, because this, this is what struck me. So I, I don't know all your stories. I don't know half your stories, but I do know some of your stories. And man, I was gripped by this in the first service. I was looking out at at faces. And some of you, I'm looking out at your faces. I know some of the story that you're going through. I know some of the wilderness accounts. Not all of them, but I know some of them. And man, there is this part of me 
that wants to help you get out of that. I want to say, oh man, if I could change that for you, I would change that. Get you out of that. And yet, here's what the Holy Spirit kind of slows me down and says, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I have purpose in the wilderness. Listen, that is bigger than your understanding. And while my intentions would be good to say, I think I know better than God, let's get you out of that thing right now. God would say, I actually have purpose that you don't fully understand. But I'm taking you through the wilderness. So I want to pray that over you, that God would, would meet you where you are, that the presence of God would meet you where you are. I'm going to ask if you stand up. We're going to conclude the service with a, with a beautiful song here in just a moment. But l- let me just ask as I pray over you, Holy Spirit, would you help us right now? as we navigate the wilderness. I, I suspect that there's some people who would say, I, I, am, I am walking that out right now. Um, just as a, as a sign of, so I can see who I'm praying for a little bit, just raise your hand if that's you. You just say, I'm, I'm walking that out right now. Yeah. Th- 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 hands there, hands there. Yeah. Hands all over this place. So here's just first little encouragement for you, and this is a big one. You just raised the hand and said, man, I'm walking this out. I'm in the wilderness. I understand the wilderness is part of the journey, but I'm feeling it right now. Here's, here's encouragement number one. You just proved that you are not alone in this. You're not alone in it. That's kind of awesome, actually, because the lies of the enemy are you're on your own. You got to figure this out, and the hope of the gospel is you're actually not on your own at all, and he sees you, and he's with you. So, Lord, in that spirit, we want to learn what it is to walk the wilderness paths well. And, God, we confess our own grumbling hearts. We confess our own rebellious nature. We confess, God, that sometimes we are in the wilderness a whole lot longer because we haven't learned the the things that you're trying to teach us. So, God, we humble ourselves, and we say we want to learn. We want to be soft. We want to be teachable. So, Lord, help us. And Lord, I want to pray for brothers and sisters that right now they're, they're feeling the weight of the wilderness path. They're feeling the challenge of that which is uncertain or unknown. And you're revealing character. You're building intimacy. But sometimes it can feel like a very long journey. So I pray that there would be a supernatural impartation of help today for everyone that needs it, to say, Lord, I'm taking your hand and I'm trusting you and I believe that you're leading me and I believe that you're with me. And even through these circumstances that I did not ask for, give me the courage to say I trust you. And Lord, I pray in that humble space that there would be just an infilling of your presence that we need so deeply. So meet us where we are, God. Meet us where we are. Check our hearts. Remind us of our destination. Pour out your presence. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And before I say amen, I want to just say this to you. In the strong name of Jesus, that the book of Hebrews tells us this. It says, 
Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Run the race before us. And then it says this. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him went through the wilderness for you and for me. And then this is what it said. This is, here, here it is right here. It says, keep your eyes on him so you don't lose heart. Consider him so you don't lose heart. So I pray in the name of Jesus that you would put your eyes on him and consider him and that you would not lose heart even in the midst of the wilderness. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Hey, let's lift up. Yeah, amen, amen. Amen. So one of the great things we can do in the midst of the wilderness is praise. And so we're going to lift up a song of praise. Team, would you lead us as we close?